You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Um, our theme music is a clip of Summer Nights by the Eric Jones Trio. It's provided by our friend Mark Chesanel, who plays with the Eric Jones Trio every Thursday and Sunday at Good Times Jazz Bar downtown. Hey everyone, welcome to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey and I have the pleasure of sitting with Katie Glusica. Welcome Katie. Hi Tamara, thank you for having me. Of course, so glad to have you. Um, so Katie has her MFA in fibers from SCAD. You got that in 2010 with a focus in weaving, which I love. And you had a BFA before that from VCU in Virginia and that was in crafts. Um, and I saw from your website that from 2019 till now, you've been a professor of fibers. You're like a part-time professor? Part-time, yes. Okay, so, okay. Sometimes teaching. <laughs> I love also, so I, I was looking through your CV, and because at first I was, I was like, oh, I wonder what she did in those years between getting her MFA and then starting to teach. And then I saw you had, so, you had this whole run of like these amazing exhibitions you were doing, and then it looked like you also were doing a lot of freelance um, consulting and like restoration work, which is very cool. So I'm very excited to talk about that. Um, so, so thanks you, for looking. Of course. Oh my gosh. So when you first finished your MFA, it looked like you launched into a career where you were really successful at doing these like very high end craft exhibitions. I'm just gonna name. So you did like the Smithsonian Craft Show in DC. You did a show at the Philadelphia Museum. You did something that was part of Art Basel. Yes, I. Um, I should probably go back to undergrad if that's okay. Yeah. For just a second. Like you mentioned, I did take two years about off after I finished my undergraduate degree, which was in crafts, like you said, I'm very proud of that. Um, and I did focus in weaving and had a um, sort of secondary interest, those area of special interest in class. And while I was uh, learning that was when I picked up rug restoration at, the, at a shop in Richmond called Christian Lorraine. I figured out pretty quickly that I wanted to use my skills for making money and work, um, but I didn't want to necessarily have to compromise my art. And so I found restoration as a, a, a part of that. Mm. Um, and VCU has a very, very fine art focused craft department um, where uh, SCAD is more uh, open in, you know, fine art craft production yeah. and, uh, and like professional design. yeah design yes things. like you could design for target or Kohl's yeah. or you know a lot of our students the VCU is very fine arty very fine art oriented which was very suited to me it's um very much how I am but part of my uh, mission in coming to SCAD um was exploring the idea that maybe I could be a designer of some sort okay um but I learned pretty quickly. That was probably not who I'm going to be. So I was right about that. But something um, in the VCU department where, like you mentioned, the Smithsonian Craft Show and the Philadelphia Museum of Art Show were, um, you know, slightly more frowned upon. Oh. Um, not, not, I don't want to say, um, Nobody, it just wasn't really something that was like, hey, here's, you know, you knew that's something you could do. Yeah. But, um, it wasn't presented as a huge option. Yeah. And neither was restoration. There was a, um, you know, but it was also a sign of the times, you know, this, now we're talking like 20 years ago. (laughs) So it's like, we weren't talking about sustainability and reuse the way that we do today in a lot of ways. So it was very interesting to me and, uh, I just fell in love with rugs once I started, just tapped into the tip of the iceberg of that. Yeah. Um, 
so when I, so interestingly, my path through SCAD was maybe I was going to see if I could be a designer, but I, and I really came here to access the Jacquard Loom. Um, oh, there's like a particular piece of equipment. Yeah, a particular piece of equipment It's like over hard there. to find in general? It, is, it was then. Okay. It is a little, a, quite a bit more prevalent now in schools, but that was, yes. Wow. It, SCAD has really amazing facilities yes. and a lot of resources financially for those facilities. So, you know, it's looms that you just, not every craft or textile department as no, they were incredible. sort of closing, you know, they're getting rid of a lot of the floor looms. That's, you know, come around again at this point. Um, but one of the things that I uh, reframed for myself while I was at SCAD was part of, um, there's also another big fine craft show called the, that the American Craft Council puts on and that's in Baltimore. Mm. And within these shows, there's a, a huge variety of work and ways of working and techniques and uh, aesthetics. Um, the ACC, American Craft Council, started a school to market program. And while I had never even been on my radar when I was at VCU, mm. Coming to SCAD, the design dropped off, but I really, sometimes you have to go and find out what you don't like to yes. really gauge where you are. Because I was in this very happy heaven at VCU and it was like this just perfect fit for me. And then, you know, at SCAD I had to kind of find find my position within the greater world a little differently and I that's when I realized how much I really liked those craft shows. Yeah, so sort of by the, <laughs> the end of your MFA, shows. you were like, yes. I'm probably going to be leaning toward more of a fine art career. And, and it wasn't like the majority of the people that you were majoring with weren't sort of in that. Not as realm. much, not yeah. as much. And, and then because of the discussions that the SCAD department were having, like, what is the difference between art, craft, and design? Right. Right. And so it really gets you thinking, and I, um, and academia even, right? So like... I, I kind of got on a, a new mission that um, my, my thesis was very fine art, very abstract, very, you know, um, metaphor, on a metaphor. And then from that, I realized, because I had been making work that I took to the um, school to market program that got me interested in the craft shows and thought that was going to be my thesis. But so I... Uh, ended up trying to make a body of work that would float in all of these places okay. and that depending on the person in the audience that there was something for them in the work and if you wanted to dig deeper and dig deeper you could get really into a lot of more information but just if you just want a surface level that you could access it like that too so for real just to describe a little bit like what your work was that you were taking to these very high-end craft shows is it like were they sort of like weaving installations were they almost sculptures my big question was do I have full aesthetic control over my booth, right? Can I make it look like whatever I want to make it look like? And I don't yeah. really think anybody had asked that before, not because of any particular reason, but okay. maybe other people weren't as concerned. Um, but they said, well, yeah, like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm not sure they knew what I was going to do, so maybe they were curious. But I, um, so I treated my booth for those shows as as a miniature gallery for me and so the whole space was very curated in the sense that you would approach an installation mm. you know where it's immersive you're thinking about how people are interacting with the work in the space but the pieces became more like um what you'd call a wall hanging 
right? Okay. So very much um, n- no imagery, uh, very easy to put in a home, um, okay. sort of three by seven foot panels and different sizes and uh, therefore different price points. So I could have... Okay you know, things for people that were more like scarf size and those were sort of on the outer side of the booth and then things in the middle on a table that were sort of a three, four by five foot blanket sort of size. And then on the walls, uh, like three three by seven foot-ish. So the, the like individual pieces for sale, each of them would have been approachable for, you know, most people, but combined you had this whole environment that people were walking into. It was like an overwhelming thing. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, cool. exactly. <laughs> and and um, I did have some pretty good, you know, what I did do was pretty different, particularly for the textiles. Yeah. So, um, like like the, it was more conceptual than most people were doing. Yes. But it, it, yes. There was a lot of con- concept involved. Um, I was treating my booth space very differently, less like a sales market zone and more of this experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah. It must have been fun for people. It, it was, and it was, you know, it worked. It worked, yeah, you yeah. know? It I bet really, it was very, I bet they really remembered it. Yeah. you went there. Yeah. I think so. so I, yeah, yeah. so you were so having success. So for a few years, you were doing these really big shows. You were having all the success. And then it looks like kind of simultaneously, you started this whole other, like, realm of doing freelance uh working with rest- restoring like chairs and rugs are those kind of the main things yeah um initially so that was my my plan was to my my bread and butter as yeah. I say would be restoration okay. it was always you know restoration to happen particularly in savannah I thought yes um it would be a nice place for me to settle after grad school um because people People own such fine things. Yes, yeah. and, and appreciate yeah. old things. Yes. Because it really, you know, when it comes to restoration, and particularly when we talk about sustainability, you know, there's a lot of efforts to design new things that are more sustainable or, you know, put a new building that is more su- yeah, sustainable. Yeah, like using new green materials, things yes, like that. Yes, but the truly most sustainable thing you can do is keep what you have yes. already. And, I was reading, and, oh, sorry, maybe on a meme or something the other day that it said, you know, what is, what is the greenest possible house you can have? And the greenest house is the one that's already built, right? Exactly, exactly. And this is not something, um, it's, it's quite antithetical, even particularly to the design world, right? We're talking five-year turnover. They want you to come throw something away and buy a new thing. Yeah. And so... Um, my restoration practice was expanded out of even more and more um, not necessarily just about fine things but very much about one less thing to a landfill many of these things people are emotionally connected to yeah and the stories that things carry the more that we use become really um, important in people's lives and that is huge to me and so um yeah, like an honor to be working with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like, and also I guess the materials that were used in the older chairs and things, like it, if you take care of it well, it, they are built that they are going to last. They just need some tweaks and they need to be cared for a little bit, but they are going to last, whereas things built today are just not, even if you tried fixing them, right? Exactly. They're almost designed not to be fixed, yeah. or they're certainly not thought of in, in, in that regard. And um, I expanded into chairs and uh, caning, wicker restoration, rattan, yeah. really any anything weaving I'll, I'd like to get my hands in because my work as a fine artist, if you will, 
Um, it's all part of the same practice, but it was very experimental. You know, with, yeah. I've used many, 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 many materials. You know, so the transition is um, was very natural into chairs, but that came a little later yeah. um, in the process. But when I was uh, doing a lot of work for an antique furniture and rug store, I had my hands in all kinds of different repairs um, in assisting a lot with color matching and furniture and okay. things and and the way the antique business works yeah, usually the owner knows how to do a little bit of everything fixing you know so this was this was a job that you found when you were an undergrad which sounds like just such an amazing find that you it got was. that yeah it really was like like this old family business and they taught you hands-on how to do all these things yeah, yeah. so it's cool so you were going to school and doing all these really conceptual fine arty fiber things and then you had this side job that was learning this like dealing with sustainability and I love the idea that like working with rattan and caning still is weaving so it's yeah, like the same exactly. techniques and stuff it's so funny to think about doing that with little thin pieces of wood as opposed to like cotton or whatever yeah and it's, it's so amazing it's pretty phenomenal really you know because the the material is the use of the material in furniture and weaving goes m- millennia back just like rugs you yeah, know and yeah. weaving in general so it's these very uh, important and significant parts of human history, um, but they're very unique to, they're truly unique to each area um, that design them, right? So even when they're using the same, different groups of people using the same materials and the same basic techniques, you have this, there's no true canon, mm-hmm. you know, where we have in the, in the more Western specific history, you know, like, yeah, that's a Queen Anne style reproduction chair, right? And that would, and, and and then if we have, uh, I don't have one, but say you had a Chip Chippendale, okay. right? Another one I've heard of, yeah. Right, you've heard of Chippendale, right? <laughs> of course. So this is easy peasy. Um, there was a guy named Chippendale, and he made some designs, and he drew those out, and then other people could make them. Mm. But like you could look and say this was this, and that's you know, and it really goes, you yeah. Can, Everything's more broken out and categorized and separated and labeled where um, it works not totally dissimilarly in, in rugs and whatnot, but it wasn't as in rattan. There's, but you see something new every day hmm. that you have never seen quite exactly anywhere else before. Yeah, it's a lot of problem solving. It's so much problem solving, which is what I love yeah. and, and uh, really keeps creative thought and process in in gear you know um there's a point you know I mean it was really satisfying and in many ways to make work and sell it um as new objects and I was very limited in my production um, because I think it's important to relate the value of labor to the value of work, right? Because that's really, that's that's all well, we got is, as, as artists, time, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's what we, you know, the thinking and the time in the same way, you know, we refer to practices of doctors and lawyers, right? Because it takes a really long right, time. Right, it should all be valued, everybody's time. Exactly. And, and um, objects, whether they're houses or furniture, you know, um, directly relate to human labor. And, and that is a, a really interesting um, angle to come at it from because it's easily forgotten, um, mm. particularly even when we live in a highly industrialized age. Um, what exactly 
things are so many times over removed from their space of origin that it's easy to forget that this ever touched, you know, that our food ever came off a tree. Right, right, right. <laughs> that human it, really made that yeah, thing. Yeah, like I guess a lot of people, you're living amongst furniture and things that weren't really touched by human hands at all. It just, everything came off of various conveyor belts. Yeah. Right. And then the designs are dictated by what the machines can do as opposed um, to like uh, what, yeah. what humans can do, which is a lot more expansive. To be anything, yeah. So your, your interest is so interesting as you're talking, it's like, it's fibers, but it also is like historic preservation and then also furniture design. You kind mm-hmm. of have all this crossover. Did you take other classes like that at SCAP? Is that available to you or? Um, I didn't. Um, I, I, I brought that interest, I think, with me. Yeah. Um, and it expanded. It's only expanded here. Um, yeah. And in, I'd say that historic preservation has, and particularly more recently, uh, become a bigger part of my practice in different ways. There's a uh, a local group called the Oglethorpe Plan Coalition. Um, been, Sounds very official. <laughs> it's an interesting um, group of people. Um, we're in another time in Savannah where there's uh, coming out of COVID a lot of development and changes going on, yeah. particularly in the historic district. A lot of new yeah. building, which is a big problem yeah. for it. We all, most of the people I know who have ever come here or been from here and stayed here, can care about the the lifestyle that the that the design of the city provides mm-hmm. to everyone. It's very walkable. You don't have to have a car if you're downtown. Right. But if you can't afford to live downtown. You kind of need one, and there are there's it's come under uh, the attention of the National Park Service, uh, who Dean who who uh, shall we call it, but the National Historic Landmark status, right? And new development that does not follow the rules of the old ordinances um, affects that. Right. And then if you don't have that, it's hard. You don't get grants to conserve what you have. Yeah. So our designation as a historic place is like in jeopardy. Probably. It's currently threatened status. Yeah. yeah. And so, I've been um, helping the uh, Oglethorpe Plan Coalition folks in in ways and writing letters and things like that, trying to bring awareness. Um, you know, because <laughs> particularly, uh, well, all the history of the world is rife with many, many. Uh, tragedies and horrible, horrible things that have happened. Um, but a, a nothing is truly one one way or the other, yeah. you know. And and history and people are very complicated. And like like I said, I connect objects with labor, and also what we make will interact. The world will interact with in a way, mm-hmm. whether that's an architectural design, a city plan, a chair, a rug, whatever, right? And that that affects our our life. And one of the things that Oglethorpe plan, Oglethorpe, the founder of the city, was truly uh, one of, according to the histories I've read, one of the first people of colonial, you know, English colonial times person to say, if we're really seeking this new world, quote unquote, for a greater, more equal society, we can't have slavery also, right? And, And one of the first white Europeans right. to say that as they're right, coming here, which is not negate any of the actual history that happened, but they, if we can look back at what we can pull forward that was a good idea and hold on to those things, yeah. I think that's an important thing to do, and that, while also acknowledging, you know, what's going on. And, 
And that we're, we're one of the only planned cities from that era, right? Where it's so laid out with the grid and the parks everywhere so that there's and everything like designated is green even space. Even. Green, green space, yeah. most all the plots around the squares started as the same size. Yeah. And that each of those squares and tithing lots, is how they called those, would have a garden that people could use. So yeah. it was really supposed to... So built in the city, there's like foliage. That's why things. we don't have a, tons of mansion homes. Right, like if you go to New Orleans, right. they had tons of industry and that was, you know, and tons of money, and there are these ornate, enormous mansions, yeah. and we have not some. as much, not as much public green space. No, yeah. and and that is too the more that we develop the existing, even little tiny green corners, yeah. you eliminate those that drives down the overall support for all the green space, right? Because we know more and more yeah. these things all connect and the trees and the mushrooms all talk to each other all under the streets, you know? This So the Oglethorpe group that you're in? I'm sorry, what was the Oglethorpe Plan Coalition. Um, is that something, so are there like random people who are interested in this? I, like, are they taking volunteers? Is there any way that people can get involved and volunteer and help? Yes. Um, so one of the things I contributed was a website called the Oglethorpe Plan Coalition.org okay. and that has information there we could use a greater diversity of people getting interested because it affects everybody and one of the things too that more development drives everybody's prices up we already know we're in an affordable housing crisis in the whole country and that's not only happening to our town post-covid that you know um, a lot of things were getting slid through um, city city planning yeah where people weren't watching so it's um but yeah, I'd say it's become an extension overall um, because how we live in places is, is really, really the design should reflect how we want to live. And yeah. um, if we sell that down the river, you know, that's what the National Historic Landmark said is prevented from happening back in the 60s when, again, it was a time of rampant Yeah, crazy to think that that is in jeopardy now because what, is, what, what are people paying their money to come here and visit and look at if you lose that? They could go anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. I love that you say so you're interested. It's like it starts from, you know, restoring like the seat of a chair or whatever. But it is develop. It's part of it's developing into the entire plan of the city. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. it's it become. Um, it's definitely more of a ethos of living. I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. So do you um, so current like at this moment currently. So we're in your house and I'm looking at your studio. It's very cool. I'm gonna try to describe this. So you have you have like a project going where you're obviously working on restoring some seats of chairs. And then there's another part where you talked about a decommissioning of a piece of fabric from the Telfer Museum. And then you also have a personal piece that you're in the midst of on your, on your loom, which you said is going to take you multiple years to go for. <laughs> That's just amazing. So you really have to be like, yeah. so in your current practice as an artist and a maker, you're like very comfortable with juggling a lot of things and things being like unfinished. Like that's, that has to be part of your... You know, yes. so you have to be able to live with that. It's like very, very long-term things that you're working on. Yes, I am. Um, which not everybody has the. Yes. Not everybody has the constitution to be able to deal with a project that they know is going to take literally years. Yes. <laughs> yes. So and it, it, it almost um and the the piece that will take years is actually about time and oh. space, and uh, weaving in particular was something that I started as I was sitting there and working on starting that is when the ideas sort of um, came together in, in a little bit different way. But as you make things, you are impacting space over periods of time, hmm. right? So we're using the materials around us, space, matter, all the, you know, but then, it, but space, time, 
isn't really a different thing from one another, right? And so then there's the past, present, and future, and those things are also technically concurrent on the you know science level, not our level of perception of things. Um, the way the many variety of projects work, I, I do also have technically a business job in the corner that works at a very whole other pace of life, and um, moving from different positions of experience of time. So some okay. of these projects will take years and some projects take a couple of days to a couple of hours right so it's sort of like I'm moving into those different um mental spaces multiple times throughout the day which is not something everybody likes right exactly um a lot of people do not like to pivot yeah and you're so you're like dabbling between yeah you said this fine art piece that you're doing just for you and then working on like fixing the chairs I'm assuming is a, a for somebody like a paid job, yeah, so you, yeah. you know, yes, yeah, so I also that. make money. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, business is is definitely part yeah. of my life, and what I learned at that same uh, rug shop. I remember what a cool job. I, I love really loved it, and it it was not. They didn't actually have a job um, available when I first went down, and I said, well, you know, and to all the artists, <laughs> tenacity yeah. and persistence is really important, and yeah. and. Not be afraid to hear no. You know, I, you not know, be embarrassed to ask a dumb question or when I was in college like I got jobs like that too where I would just show up at like a business that looked kinda cool and I would just be like, Can I just shadow you and help out? And then also if you're if you're helpful enough, eventually they will find a way to pay you something. I yeah. found. I found That's awesome. <laughs> no, I'm glad that this you know? that nugget came up because it's it's important and that's exactly what I did. I said, Well, I'd like to fill out a resume and and then a week or two, I called back, and they were like, yeah, actually, you can interview. Yeah. And um, it was the interesting business kind of aspect of it, because that's important in the arts. It really is. Um, like finding a way to turn it into where you can support yourself doing it? Support yourself, and I, I'm very good at living on almost nothing. I've done it plenty. And if you're going to be an artist, you have to learn to do that. And most yeah. people who you know go into business starting anything themselves unless you started out rich which plenty of people do but if you don't there will be a period that you're going to be very poor yeah and maybe you'll maybe you'll make it you know it's a big risk but it's I think in the art like I'm not motivated by money which in our world can put you at a disadvantage in some ways that I didn't realize when I was younger oh it's like not have this kind of killer instinct yeah you don't have that but you don't have to have that to be a good business person actually but you have to you have to understand the way that money works in our world otherwise you will be controlled by it and if you want to you know if i had understood some things a little differently back in the past i might have i don't know you know but but yeah. in our world what if all the artists had the money what would the world look like because the money translates to power right 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 and if we want to see change in the world you know, it's just an interesting Yeah, and like thing. talking about the development downtown, it just is all about it money. Oh, exactly. Yeah. If I had all the money that some of these people, I would make very different decisions. Right, right, right. Because it's not my motivating factor because I don't see money as green stuff that just flops yeah. around. It connects to... You would use your power Objects. to do a whole different plan. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good, so you know? now I wish I was a, yeah, if I had a million dollars, I would, I would do some things. A little, I would disrupt a little more, a little more significantly. Well, Katie, okay, this is super fascinating. We're actually, we're coming to the end okay. of our half hour, so we're going to take a little station break. Everybody, this is Katie Glusica, and I'm Tamara Garvey, and we'll be right back. 
You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Trees are one of Chatham County's most treasured natural resources. Beyond their beauty and cultural significance, the impact of trees are far-reaching and compounding, spanning from economic benefits to health improvements to climate change resilience. Trees are woven into every aspect of our lives. Savannah Tree Foundation protects and grows Chatham County's urban forest through tree planting, community engagement, and advocacy. More information is available at savannatree.org. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we're a voice for the community. It also means that we're counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community-focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to WRUU.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station, 107.5 FM. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey, and I am sitting with local fibers extraordinaire woman, Katie Glusica, who has her MFA in fibers from SCAD and now has a really cool career where she's kind of juggling personal pieces and also doing uh, restoration work on chairs and rugs. And then also, it sounds like you've had a lot of uh, consultation work for the Owens Thomas House and the Telfair Museum. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about that? It's very yeah, cool. definitely. Um, did I think a friend, a fellow professor at SCAD, um, maybe referred me over uh, first to the Owens Thomas, um, house which has some old rugs uh, throughout in the different rooms and rugs are their own very special niche even within the very special niche of textiles okay. and so um, very few people have much knowledge of it because really what I also fell in love with rugs um, there is you know, we used to joke about getting your degree because it's so vast mm. and so varied and does not have a canon. It is doesn't fit into course curriculum in an easy, profitable way. Okay. So it's not really in universities. I think Oxford in the UK, I want to say Oxford, has some, has some, some academia yeah. around it, but um, nowhere in the U.S. that I've ever heard of. So in, in your program at SCAD, like, rugs were not part of... So and not even at VCU. This is, I have okay. a lot, you have to get books and you have to go see rugs. Got it. And that's really so the only way to learn it. That so job you had as an undergrad that you happened to find this, like... Antique it, rug shop. Yes, and because we were cleaning and repairing rug shop in Richmond, m far more so than even things that I've been able to do in 
Savannah yet is that we have such a volume mm. of and variety of rugs coming through every day, all day, which is really how you have to learn. It becomes that you can see, because even within, say, Turkmen rugs uh, in the sort of northern, between Russia, Afghanistan, and, and all around, there's quite a few tribes in uh, that area historically. Um, and then even within this subset of, of rugs, there are so much variety. So it becomes, yeah. you have to look at one Turkmen and then another Turkmen to kind of learn the difference between the world within the Turkmen and what wow. is a, a, a more, you know, it's, very experience-based and sometimes it evades words um yeah. you know even weaving itself has its own like many fields whole language right that if you don't learn the language first a bit to describe all the yeah. things and some things there still are no words for so there's so pointing like, and there's all this like oral history involved with yes. so people have to pass this down from generations yes for us to still know about rugs exactly which is why it's very rare anymore and you basically the best way would be to find a kind dealer of which there are some uh, who really have a passion beyond the money and they will usually talk to you about it Mm. Um, and you know particularly when you're young and friendly you know you just go in and you're curious usually most people want to share that with with you at that age so it was really a very fortunate time and and then another thing that was significant then that I think reflects sort of the trajectory of sustainability in our world was the uh when I first started at the rug store and got that job in Richmond the attitude even in the repair department was that we make all our money from cleaning Hmm. no nobody wants repair no, no, people uh, don't want to pay for like that. Like, they have to pay so much for it, it's not worth it to them. That's That was the attitude. And attitude is a lot in life. And if you are in the position of um, knowledge in a, in a certain dynamic where you know more about something than someone else, how you phrase it, how you present the possibilities will gu- guide them. And so, you know, if you tell them, oh, it's a lot of money, uh, you know, that's yeah. what they're going to say. Like you're talking the potential customer out of using your business. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas then my attitude was a lot different. I was like, oh, well, we just have to explain to people and kind of get them interested and excited. And that year we made over $100,000 just in repair, wow. which was more than that had ever made. Huh. And it currently has gone through the roof as a business. During COVID, they were, you know, their repair timeline six months out now, and they have five, four or five full-time repairers. How do you, okay, so when you're talking about that there's nowhere in the U.S. to, like, formally study about rugs, so you, at this point in your career, were Not in like, a university. Okay, you okay, could, university. You could go to the Oriental Rug Dealers Association that probably maybe. Okay. They, some places will sell a certificate, but um, most people who really, really know yeah. kind of scoff at that. Because I was going to ask you, okay, so, so the Owens Thomas house like reaches out to you for help with this rug. Like, mm-hmm. How do they know that you're an expert in rugs? What, you, what are you even <laughs> able to point to to say, I know about this? This is, this is an excellent question, Tamara. Um, <laughs> word of mouth, okay. really, you know, a resume. Um, but uh, by that time, I did have a master's degree, which helps a lot, particularly... Yeah. For us ladies, <laughs> yeah. um, 
you know, just honestly, you know, there yeah. is, I mean, I have experienced the, quite a bit of sexism and ageism in, in the field, um, you know, and, you know, the, I mean, rugs, is, it's a male dominated uh, field. Yeah, largely. rugs and I guess wooden furniture. Yeah, would be big really time. Male. Mostly, mostly all men. Um, but that's fine. I like men are great, you know, but you just, you have to just be aware yeah, of that and also not easily offend at it. Yeah, and just, yeah. I just go with the knowledge. And once you prove that you know what you're talking about, pretty much all the rest melts yeah. away. Um, so what did the tel- what did they, the OS Thomas House ask you to do for them? So I, they asked me to assess the state of their rugs and, uh, the origin of the rugs, um, to a degree in relation to to the house and what would have been the house. Yeah. Um, but so I basically did an overall assessment for them um, to understand what they had, basically. It's very cool. It, yeah, it yeah. was. It was a really, it was a really cool thing. And house museums can be a difficult um, thing. They usually don't have tons of money, and most of the things that would have been in there are yeah. largely extremely expensive. Now, yeah. Right. So like to get the exact right period piece rugs, we're talking, you know. A couple hundred thousand dollars, kind of a thing, to to outfit the whole house, yeah. which nobody's going to do and doesn't need. To. So, in the results of your your like your pro, your process that you did for them, overhauling like cataloging all these rugs, were there any surprises or anything that came up like um, that either you or they weren't expecting? Yes, there were a, there were a couple rugs that really boggled my mind because a lot of these too will be things that people just donate to the museum you get a tax write-off kind of a thing um and i mean kind of weird things i hadn't is exactly seen i couldn't couldn't quite place and that always happens in rugs so um nothing totally mind-blowing um but sort of uh you know there were a couple things i had to consult with other dealers about you know and reach out with rugs it's really conditioned so it's it's everything and so there wasn't anything um totally mind-blowing but the other thing is that rugs at first are things to use and are regular people commodities you know it wasn't always I mean to a degree much has changed in terms of textiles and their value in industrialization right so like the the values have been kind of you know where like textiles used to be more than gold Mm -hmm. value wise like uh prior to the industrial revolution and then now and there were a huge dip in the 60s or or well before that but through industrialization right because then 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 people aren't um valuing the handmade the same right there was a little there was a blip where it was more trendy to have something right that was like then comes advertising and marketing yeah in in the 60s yeah that um, was trendy and whatnot um (laughs) that um a everything had to match that's the new Uh, propaganda being pumped out to the that was the the, value that was what people valued yes that commodities like uh to decorate your home right like we're talking about that the rug should match the curtains should match the upholstery and in the 50s you know and, and even earlier than that but you see that a lot and, it's, and now it's sort of valued in a different way of nostalgia but really um that never existed this idea of perfection Match, and matching yeah. and yeah because like an oriental rug that has 50 different colors in it is not yeah it's not exactly gonna exactly match anything. old the old tradition you know was never that people would have like an all chippendale house you know that just that just was not it would yeah, be yeah yeah it would be that you have pieces from 
different time periods and passed down from family members, whether right. you're wealthy or not. They were like charmingly mismatched kind yeah, of thing. Because yeah. you just had what you had. Yeah. Well, cool. and then <laughs> so another ways, consultation but... you did for the Telfair for an exhibition called Savannah Families Abroad. Yes. What did you do for them? That was um, the idea of one of the uh, curators um, at the Telfair. We they, they had a selection of textiles that they wanted to exhibit. Um, it was a really interesting show because it really relates directly to uh, the global commodity economy that we have today and sort of the fascination with going away and finding unique, dip, you know, things that you can okay. bring back and they're kind of these objects of mystery and curiosity because you've never seen one before. Um, so this was an exhibition about things that like Savannah families went abroad and found these and like quote back. unquote exotic things yes. and brought back. Okay. Exactly. Yes. So very much of the, uh, the Western gaze on the rest yeah. of the world. Yeah, interesting. Um, okay. and, but that is, that's very real and it's, yeah. Very much what we do today, you know, and, and the way we market things as commodity that is like, you know, we put all kind of spins on things to make them curious and interesting. Yeah. And um, so, you know, we're not... So it was like, it was like a colonial, yes, colonial, colonial era, era version of like going to Tokyo and then coming home and being like, look at this Hello Kitty I got. Exactly. We do the same yeah. thing. Exactly. Um, it's just, it, it is possible for a lot more people to do it now than, yeah. than used to be able to, but... So when you did this project for them where you were cataloging these items, did, were you coming across like things that you hadn't seen before in this project um, as well? Not... Was this a lot of rugs too? or This just was mostly text, objects? Te- te- fabrics okay. that would have been uh, shawls, oh, okay. um, a little more wearable things, maybe some tablecloths I'm honestly trying to oh, got recall. It. But it, and then what I helped them do um, was, were to... Uh, prepare the textiles so that they could be properly hung without damaging. So that involved a process of um, creating a fabric sleeve on the backs of the fabrics um, and then doing it in a way so that um, the way the curator was a really interesting installation, sort of things layered on top of each other, almost in a I'm like not a direct quilt reference, but sort of like connected and overlapping oh. on a big wall. And um, then they had some furnitures and like letters, and so it was very much about the domestic life of, of right. the people who were doing living like an here. installation. So you were working with like the curators and the preparators yeah. that had to actually lay out the show. Yeah, that's exactly. fascinating. So, I love that. You know, whatever. So the, yeah, I love that you you've gotten these the you know this project with the Owens Thomas and with the Telfer Museum after these like years of living in Savannah and like kicking around and doing all this restoration. I love this, that you're this local expert. Thank you. Um, Can you talk a a little bit about, so the side of your business that is like with the the caning of the chairs, Mm -hmm. is this like at this point you're sort of word of mouth, like people just know of you and they find some old dusty chair in their attic and they're like, we know this woman who can fix this. So I get, um, after all this time and you get to, you just get to know people and um, people get to know you and and you, they know what you do. And so I've uh, freelance for different people. Um, So I have clients who know me through that. Then I have um, other places that I freelance chairs like uh, DeBoard restoration. They, they, uh, I do all their caning. Um, And that's, it's not a secret. And then I have at least one 
um, former grad student at SCAD who I've um, taught to do the caning so she can help out. Um, oh, you have bit. an apprentice. Yes, I've always, I've tried, you know, I've, 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 I've a couple men, mentees, I yeah. can call them, and, and I think that's an important part of my practice cool. as well, that teaching element. Yes. Um, and so so your, your projects are, it's not even limited to just the, like items in Savannah, you have people sending you things to work on too. Yeah, yeah, I have, um, I had somebody, a, a dealer in California wanted me to fix some rugs for him, um, Sea Island, um, so people find me a variety of ways, I yeah. have a website, I'm currently in the process of updating, um, it's good that you happen to have this, this one pretty now. big room where you can yes. have these things laid out, because each of these is like, takes up space. And oh, yeah. you're juggling multiple things that all take up space. So I would imagine. And you still like <laughs> There's also a list. A yeah. couple of lists. The different, a couple different shops that have lists. I have my list. Um, so it just depends. People find me lots of different yeah. ways at this point. And, you know, um, Can you talk about those? So in your room full of projects, you, there's a piece of fabric that you said has just been decommissioned from a museum. Uh, Can you explain what that means? Yeah. Um, and... Deaccession is okay. technically the the museum. Um, um, it means basically the same thing. Yeah. But um, that's uh, I did take a museum studies and curating practices when I was at SCAD. I took a museum like, studies class. Oh, it was cool. great. Yeah, it was I really liked yeah, it. I loved it. I mean, so it's like I'm I'm I can be very like cerebral in a sort of sense, and I really like academia. I really like museums and those kind of things. But then I um, also rather wild in my ways and it's, yeah. it's like you know yeah. finding always a, a balance between those two things um the game of life I guess for me um and so, you're keeping both sides of your brain activated all the time yes Tamara actually that was one of my very first artist statements when I oh. learned to weave was that I felt like my right and left hemispheres were in this special unison for the first time oh. in weaving right that I was because weaving is very mathematical um the computer came from looms like oh. the jacquard loom developed in 1804 directly led to the first well it was the first machine to use binary code to transmit information and the technology was borrowed the punch cards that they used for the loom were borrowed into computing technology wow. by charles babbage and ada lovelace and that is um, some really good trivia yeah it is i love to share it i'm <laughs> glad it came up because it's one of those um very important little nuggets of, of human knowledge, you know, that, yeah, that, thought. that these things all connect and, 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 you know, that the weaving is interlacing and interconnecting and building yeah. webs. And now we have a worldwide web that we're all connected literally and, and, and metaphorically through, um, and that jacquard loom, that was the one that that's what made you move to Savannah yeah, basically. That's exactly it. And I, um, I absolutely love that loom. Um, and so the uh, deaccessioning, I think, is what we were talking yes. about. Yes. You know, with my affiliation with SCAD, and they, they had you know, known of me from working with them in the past. So with my aff affiliation with the SCAD Fibers Department, they thought, hey, would you and the department be interested in these? And um, space becomes a big issue for everybody with, with all of these objects. I mean, we yeah. have a whole industry of just storage spaces in our society. Like, because yes. that's just too much stuff. <laughs> yes. In my opinion. So most, many people agree right. disagree. And but. most people aren't storing like classic, beautiful, handmade things like this. But So this is a piece of that. So it, it needs is. to 
be cared for. So what what will happen with this fabric? So I am going through the process, so it will take quite a while, of um, creating more of a sample book from, from the things. And many of them are damaged or, you know, have stains and things that you couldn't sell them. Um, but you couldn't necessarily replace them either. And that becomes a very confusing uh, economic space, yeah. really, um, and historical space, you could say. So I, uh, after being approached about the uh, project, I, I talked to the department at SCAD, and um, this was sort of my, my brainchild. Was, I was like, this is... An approach I think we could do and then accept these and as long as you guys are good with it then that's what we'll do and everybody thought they that was a great idea, idea. Yeah. so it's gonna take me a while because okay. as you know all, all the different projects um, and because well, I, I do business world to get good health insurance because if I didn't need good health insurance I would only do all of these things you know <laughs> but um, but it's it's a it's you know it doesn't bother me <laughs> to write emails quickly. <laughs> yeah, that's really all. Thing. Right, right. That's the job, writing <laughs> emails, you know. Um, so, uh. <laughs> so, oh, and speaking of that, so we, we kind of touched on that. So you work for SCAD a bit. You do these, I saw in your resume, virtual frame loom weaving workshops for high school students. Mm-hmm. And I was stuck on the fact that they are virtual. How does, this, how does this work? The virtual piece started during COVID time. Yeah. So I taught that same program everything moved online and it actually in in some ways was there was some benefit kind of to it that where where you're one person teaching 15 20 kids and you're dealing with finger and needle sized objects and yeah. they all need to see what you're doing what i did was in a lot of professors teaching art um managed this kind of a thing that you can do a zoom toggle kind of lasso camera to your phone and I had a little setup where that my camera and my phone would sit and watch okay. very closely what I, what I was doing on the hands and it actually I'm glad you noticed it because a very proud moment as a teacher was that the second year I did the COVID virtual class um, I had a, a return student and I kind of fell back because I was like, well, we're doing the same oh, thing this year. Okay. And she said, oh, it's okay. I really liked it. I would like to do it again. So um, so, so she's like maybe successful. thinking really heavily about coming to SCAD and yeah. doing this, it sounds. Yeah, and I, I, did, I do know at least of one student who took one of the classes and, and ended up yeah. coming to SCAD. Oh, cool. Um, so I, I understand like virtually how that helps where you can use the you know your phone and zoom in on your hands doing it. But so the students, but like their home... It's mm-hmm. not like they have a loom to work on too, so yes. how, so all so, they're doing all they can do is watch. Is well, that... so part of that process, um, the way I designed the class is that everybody gets their own frame loom because all you really need to to do weaving yeah. is any two points to create tension on. Okay, so this one is like a little string. kind of a small. Idea. Yeah, that's the frame loom, okay. stretcher strip frame that you would stretch canvas over. Okay. We just get those, and instead of stretching canvas, we stretch strings. Got it. Yeah, and so that's what. So I had they all got a kit. Yeah, yeah. That nice. had everything they needed in it. So we did everything together. And I got one of the kits, that makes and then sense. we all okay. do it together. I yeah. Love that. Can you maybe talk a little bit about uh, something you'd like to see happen in Savannah in the arts and design community? Is there anything that you think Savannah is doing really well as far as? supporting as professional artists? I, I think we have a, a pretty vibrant, diverse community of artists. Yeah. Um, I think 
it's it's changed a lot um we can always use more um gallery spaces for yeah. artists that that would be if i had a you know that's been forever and I, you, you see yeah. them come and you see them go and you see them come and you see them right. go but this all directly relates to real estate and development because where there used to be a lot more places you could just pop in and maybe rent for a little bit um or even afford um that's changed a lot um so you know keeping the costs of living in business in in check with what we actually have as people who are here and live here and from here would, would be ideal yeah um i i think if i if if people appreciate the idea of sustainability and the, the lifestyle that a city like savannah affords people um getting involved yeah. you know and there are times in in life when you're young, um, you, know, you can you don't have any money and you have a lot of time more so. So you can get out and you can, um, you know, march in the streets or yeah. whatever, you know. And as you get older, the ways that you get involved can change and do change. And um, yeah, I guess for a lot of people as they age, they have more money and less time, right? Yeah. Um, but you have a different. You also become just more more aware, and particularly women in our society you know i mean and and average for everybody but like you kind of don't really fully understand what's going on until you're like mid-30s 40 yeah maybe earlier if if you're really really smart and also as you're older you've seen things change exactly yeah you exactly maybe you're seeing like a trend of something going poorly and you want to change it and 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 i think that the way our even the way government is set up and the way media is set up it's not like you know, like if we go to look for our local candidates, you know, I don't, how do you, how do you find out, you know? And so, um, if you have neighborhood associations, um, uh, different kinds of, of political community thing, you know, yeah, where you, um, you, you can go to zoning board hearings, you can yeah, go, to, you know, like to, that, yeah, in Savannah, artists, you can get involved in very small We can ways. get yeah. involved in those things and, um, yeah. you know, just have conversations with people. One of the things that's special about a, a nice sized city that we have here that's very different, say, than New York, that a lot of people say flocked here for is um, it's small. So you do know each other and you have it, but that also means like we have a grand variety of different people who all have to get along. Mm. And it's a lot harder to be a just, it's not impossible, but it's a different thing when you have to maybe run into people that you know, right? It, it, I think, can drive a degree of civility in the way that we talk to people who That's are very true. different. You're accountable than us. for yes. your words. Yeah. Accountability and responsibility, and, and to not um, be afraid to talk to people who are different than you. And that's really one of the things that I think is the most powerful and threatening to the status quo of artists is that, you know, I'll, I'll hang out with all the people. You yeah. know, I might not be best friends with everybody, but you have a respectful. Um, you know, way of interacting, and and I think that that having conversations um, with people about what you care about and yeah. hearing what they care about, and that that is really important. Yeah, it kind of demystifies strangers. Yeah, and and just find out how things work. You know, well, that's amazing. Is there, do you want to leave us with any any words of anything coming up for you in your future? Like, do you have any goals or new things you're excited to learn about? Anything like that? Um, that's a like 
inexhaustible list right. of things. Um, Anywhere I, we can see your work? Uh, well, this will come out, I think, after, but I actually made that piece, um, that collage piece on the wall. It's okay. going to be in a show, actually, at a piece. Uh, it, it's an interesting full circle, again. Um, a good friend of mine, I found out, lives in the building that is about to be demolished to potentially put up an illegal mansion home that mm. houses five, five, five units, five families, if you will. Um, they're very, very small. Um, but he's been evicted, and he had an idea to throw an exhibition about reclaiming the idea of what is beautiful and um, a society that tells you what is or and, and thrives on you thinking you are not or that certain things are and certain things aren't. Yeah. Um, and so he's going to have that show in this space right before being officially kicked out. Wow. And one of the things I've heard as a recurring theme is like, oh, well, I don't like that building. And I'm uh, like, but it follows all the rules. Right, and right. what about, it has one of the biggest purple heart plants, which I don't really know what else to call those purple creeping with the little flowers. It's one of the biggest ones I've ever seen. Hmm. And all that's just going to get trashed yeah, yeah. because somebody deemed it not right. good enough. And, like, not liking the building isn't really the issue. No. Yeah. It really isn't. I'm like, so... Um, so when so when and, and where will that show be? And that's going to be this Sunday over at a... Oh, a okay, little, got it. So a, just a one Thursday thing? Party. Yeah, I think oh. it's just going to be... There's not enough time and... Um, Okay, so, so this will come out after the show, but maybe if you have any photos from that show, then I'd love to share them. Definitely, yeah. I would. I would love to. Um, and it's a very, it's I a can't... beautiful piece. So we'll thank you. Include that when I post about you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah that is um, actually a, a bit of a. It's a portrait of a lizard eating a caterpillar on my lemon tree out here. Um, I watched this caterpillar come out of the butterfly egg and get big, and it was very exciting. I watched it start to metamorph, enter its metamorphosis, and then I came out and uh, lizard was eating it. Wow! And that's not something we're taught is beautiful, right? <laughs> and it was—I had gotten a little attached naturally um, to the caterpillar, but also the lizard. You know, it was sort of this for the human perspective on how life should work. We get very caught up in shoulds and like, yeah. this, this is how it is. And it's actually quite beautiful. What a fantastic piece. That's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Well, um, and I'm going on vacation next week. Uh, so that is really what great I'm thinking about. So happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> That'll open up new things for you too. It will. It will. Changing <laughs> location, just letting your mind relax opens a whole new world. Yeah. So cool. Well, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And of course, I'll post a link to your website and your Instagram and people can follow along and see you working away, like tinkering away on your things. You're like a mad scientist. I love it. So thank you, Thank Katie. you. I feel very seen with that comment, Tamara. I appreciate <laughs> you, so, you much. so much. <laughs> Next up on WRUU, that old Savannah magic from 4 to 6 p.m. It's a variety show featuring Savannah history, radio theater, interviews, and music. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul.